Hello and welcome to Indie Filmopolis, a podcast dedicated to indie film and filmmaking. My name's Philip Hugh, I'm an independent filmmaker and indie film enthusiast. In this episode I'll be chatting with up-and-coming filmmaker Bryson Sams about the making of his short film Projection, a 40-minute psychological thriller about a cinema projectionist's descent into madness as he grinds away the hours in the lonely dark corridors of his local multiplex theatre. Projection has already racked up close to 19,000 views and climbing steadily, which is no small feat for a 40-minute short film hosted on a platform crowded with short-form clickbait content. So, Bryson, thanks for joining me on this podcast. How's everything with you on your side of this Skype call? Oh, well, we're uh, all in lockdown. Stay at home. It's just the way it is at the moment, you know, all around the world. But hey, it's a great time to you know work on film and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, self-meditate on everything that's going on. Fingers crossed everything will be better soon. So Absolutely. So just to give uh, a bit of context then, where are you based and what's the film and TV industry like where you are? Well, uh, I live in Franklin, Tennessee. It's like a small town right outside of Nashville um, in the United States. I mean, film and television, you know, obviously in the United States, it's an enormous industry. And, you know, the independent film industry uh, is pretty much booming here. There's a lot of people here that have a lot of things to say and a lot of visions to promote. And that's really one of those things that is really great about where I live. There are a lot of filmmakers that I know that come around my area and they they all have some great visions and you know I, I love working with them and yeah I love watching their work and it's really really good to you know to see everyone flourish that's fantastic so like you mentioned you're on lockdown the whole world's on lockdown and everyone's binge watching movies and tv shows and I've been catching up with a lot of short films and one that caught my interest was your short film projection so to get everyone up to speed how would you pitch projection uh, if I were to pitch projection, it is a short film about a character named Daniel. He's almost 19 years old, but he, you know, hasn't really started out great in, you know, his adulthood. And, you know, he's tried a few jobs and nothing really works. And so he ends up stumbling onto this theater job uh, as a projectionist. And, um, you know, the GM's a dick and uh, the, you know, main manager's a dick as well. And, you know, everyone's, everyone's yeah. big old dick. And it's one of those things where essentially he goes insane. Mm-hmm. The isolation as, as a projection, you know, as a, in the projection, um, you know, he's sort of going crazy. So that's my you know, elevator pitch for projection. That's great. So it's very much a, a film, I'd say, open for interpretation. And I sent you my take on the film. And I'm eager to know more about your, your thought process behind it. But aside from the elevator pitch, what do you want? people to know about the film going into it i've made quite a lot of films this film it was you know kind of holds a special place in my heart mm-hmm. um it's one of those things where i want people to take something away from it i mean that's kind of like every filmmaker's goal in my opinion yeah. you know every filmmaker they want anyone to mm-hmm. pull something away from their creation and you know with projection i want someone to take something away from it no matter what that is and you know the tagline for the film is what do you think is real mm-hmm. it, it definitely promotes that whole essence of everyone taking their own take on it i guess if that's a good way to word it. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your inspiration for the film? Where did that come from? The theater that we filmed in is actually the one that I'm employed at. I'm a manager there. Okay. And we actually, um, in the upstairs projection halls, obviously we have to take care of, you know, lots of guest concerns, lots of different things. Um, you know, one of the main things that we have to work on is, uh, you know, projectors because our building is a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a it's a 20plex. So, I mean, it's a, it's a big building um, and we got to remodel, but uh, the actual theaters and like you know all the projectors you know they're not super up to date so whenever it comes to you know the older ones i mean there's a lot of maintenance up there and so obviously we have to spend a lot of our time upstairs yeah uh, where all the offices are and everything and there's a line in the movie you know where you have to keep the lights off as to not to disturb the guests yeah and that's a that's a very true fact 
And it's a little unfortunate because our building is actually haunted. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I've, you know, legitimately, you know, the people, um, I, I've seen some stuff um, and other people before me and after me, some people that hadn't even, you know, spoken to each other, really, they all have experienced similar, if not the same things. One of the most prominent figures and, you know, entities that they've seen was a uh, tall man, a tall, dark, shadowy figure wearing a top hat. Yeah. And that, that was a legitimate thing that people had seen. Uh-huh. Um, and I saw something very similar. And it's just one of those things. I mean, you know, we all have decided, we all kind of thought like, you know, is that even real? Like, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I remember one night, I mean, typically there's a lot of late nights. Yeah. And uh, when one of those late nights, we, we had seen a lot of different things. And, you know, we decided to just go, you know, go to Waffle House and eat something at 3 a.m. And uh, we were sitting there and we were talking about it. And uh, Tucker Vaughn, the lead actor, he actually worked there at the time. Um, and, you know, I was sitting there with uh, Tucker Vaughn and uh, Scotty Demarest. We just kind of came up with the idea, like, what if we made a film? you know, about projection, mm-hmm. about what it would be like to work up there. And then, you know, immediately my mind started racing. And it was one of those things where, you know, I went home and was really thinking about it. And I couldn't sleep that night, actually, because I was sitting there thinking about all these things that we had seen, all these things that we had experienced. And, you know, I, I was really looking for my next project because, um, you know, not to get off topic, but I had just come off of Captain Franklin and I, I had just gotten off of that and I was looking for something different. And I had not tackled horror yet. I mean, I, I had done it, you know, for a 54-hour film fest, but, you know, there's a reason that's not on the internet. <laughs> okay. um, and, you know, it, it's one of those things where uh, I really felt like this was the, pre- like, there was just a calling. Yeah. It was just one of those things where, you know, you, it was just too perfect for you not to kind of try it. So, you know, I immediately started writing and started thinking through the characters and what that would all mean. What would it be like to work as a projectionist? And obviously in the real world, in the real world, we know what that's like, you know, in, in our industry, yeah. but... You know, what would it be like, you know, in a fictional world, in a theater that's not so, that's even more rundown, you mm-hmm. know, in a theater that uh, they're constantly cutting the budget. And, you know, what would it be like whenever you're alone upstairs constantly? We actually do have, um, even though, you know, the managers and the supervisors at this building take care of all the projectors, we also do have a dedicated projectionist mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, we always joke about how he's alone all the time and he's, you know, not doing so hot sometimes because sometimes he'll just be sitting there in the dark like he won't turn the lights on when he's working on the projectors yeah and you know we'll go up to him and uh you know we'll be like he'll scare us because he'll just be standing there you know outside of a projector <laughs> and he's like oh hey how you doing we're like oh well doing doing great didn't see you there kind of <laughs> scared the piss out of me so you know it's just one of those things um it was just overall that that's really where the inspiration lied and the writing process actually took quite a bit of time because it took a while to kind of nail the character. Sure. Because, um, I mean, it, especially for a projection, which is a character-driven film, I mean, it's one of those things where you really have to nail down, you know, as hard as you can, what it means to be the mm-hmm. character. And, like, if you were to be living in the character's skin, what would that mean? What are the ins and outs? And, you know, from the beginning, I knew where I wanted it to begin, and I, I knew where I wanted the character to go. But, you know, finding that journey from the beginning to end was always a little bit of a, of a hassle. So... Yeah, that was uh, that's pretty much it. And then the, that writing process took about a month and a half um, of just constant writing, maybe a little bit longer. Um, there was a lot of revisions. Mm-hmm. It was an ordeal, but I'm really glad we got it done. <laughs> that's incredible. I never thought for one second that there might have been any kind of real life inspiration behind that film, but that's uh, it's interesting that, that there is. Yeah. So d- did you find yourself going mad yourself walking around those corridors, working there? Uh, well, at the time I was a, I was a supervisor um, during the the course of that um and so you know typically whenever your supervisor is there the manager is also there um i'm a manager now but mm-hmm. you know especially like after projection and everything you know surprisingly afterwards we weren't really super scared upstairs right like we were more comfortable um yeah. because i mean after uh spending so much time up there after you know doing all the things 
that are associated with projection, you know, with the lights off and everything, we mm-hmm. just got more comfortable for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, back then, you know, whenever I was a supervisor, I wasn't really alone upstairs that often just because, I mean, typically, you know, that's you and the manager. We don't really go mad <laughs> up there. Um, I mean, I think, I think we all kind of get used to it. And, you know, we definitely get super scared sometimes. Mm-hmm. There's one time we were doing a midnight movie. This was before projection. Um, I think this was, you know, leading up to that Waffle House uh, time that I was talking about. Yeah. Everyone was in the theater. They were getting ready to start the show. And, you know, I went upstairs to start the movie, like, on the projector. And I was walking down. Uh, and, there, you know, there's not many lights on. There might be one light facing against a wall or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I saw my shadow on the wall. Um, and then I saw another shadow behind me. Right. And the thing is, is that, like, you know, sometimes, you know, if there's two lights, you can kind of create a double shadow. And that's just kind of the way the lighting works. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, that's what it is. But then I, I started staring at it and I realized that I was moving and my arms were moving, but the shadow behind me, it was not moving. Creepy. Okay. Um, it was just, it was just kind of like floating directly behind me. And I, God. I started sprinting a little bit and I, you know, ran, turned on the movie. And, uh, one of the events in the film actually is, um, or at least part of the montage, um, is directly inspired by that event mm-hmm. because I mean, he's in that exact hallway and all that sort of stuff that I did, he sort of does in that moment. There's a lot of things inspired by reality there. And yeah, not to get into too many spoilers, but in the beginning, he sees the reflection of the top hat ghost or yeah. the apparition, as we mm-hmm. call it. He sees the reflection of it right behind him in that little porthole. And I've seen that and multiple others have seen that as well. And most of us have gone over to that again and had seen uh, that porthole. And we look for it every time that we would walk past it. And, you know, it's not there. Crazy. But it was there that one time that we looked for it. So, so is there any weird history with that building? Or We don't really know too much about it. As far as history goes, I mean, there's only one thing that we've heard of. And there's, there's multiple uh, apparitions in the theater. There's the Top Hat Ghost, which I've mentioned, which is the most prominent. Yeah. Um, and then there's also what people call the Beast, mm-hmm. which is a dog, a dog-like entity. <laughs> okay. And there was actually one time, uh, I wasn't working there at this time, but it was years ago, uh, the entire Theater 5, which was, you know, it's a, one of our really huge theaters. Mm-hmm. Everyone came out saying that someone let a dog loose in there. Right. And so everyone was like, that's weird. And, uh, you know, some of the managers went in there and they, they went in there shortly before before that or after that or whatever and they ended up hearing like mm-hmm. scratching and barking on the walls and all those things whenever there was nothing in there so there's that one and then there's also a little girl named cj um, that's another one of the ones okay and uh that girl loves this one hallway which actually that entire hallway is painted black right like in the hall like in the walls and everything so mm-hmm. i mean you walk into that hallway and it's just pitch black it's just a tunnel of darkness i i've had other experiences with that one me and uh scotty demarest someone that i had mentioned earlier we ended up having this one like experience where he saw a face like on one of the pillars on the wall right? and he kept looking for it and he could not find it. Uh, he, he couldn't find it after he saw it. And he said that it seemed like it had appeared out of nowhere. Okay. You know, I could go on and on and on about different things that he had seen. <laughs> Sounds like you got a whole feature films worth of scares there. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we definitely pulled some of the, some of the coolest ones um, for the actual film. Yeah. Obviously a lot of creative, input was taken as far as you know kind of building the way that everything looks because you know sure, sure. the film gets a lot more dramatic than it actually was mm-hmm. as you could imagine um but to answer the question about you know the history of the building uh the only thing that we know is uh there was another theater which has now been turned into a mall and that theater uh had cj the, that uh, little girl ghost right um and one of the managers over there they, they would literally be one of those things where whenever they would have like a like a late night screening mm-hmm. uh there was this one chair that they that girl always loved to sit in. Right. And um, if you didn't put it down for her, uh, that chair would go down on its own. Okay. <laughs> um, and then whenever that theater was going to be moved, that general manager over there asked CJ if she wanted to come with her to the, the theater that I work at now. 
supposedly she followed and we've had lots of sightings. Um, there haven't really been that many sightings downstairs after the remodel. So it's really one of those things. But yeah, you know, aside from, aside from that, uh, that's really all we know about the history. That is absolutely crazy. That's nuts. So loads of real life inspiration going into it then. But on an aesthetic level, there's mm-hmm. loads of references to other films. There's some clear cubic references, other yes. films like Shawshank. And there's some really great sound design elements to it and some real great atmospheric elements with the cinematography. What and who were your inspirations for the film on an artistic level? Uh, on an artistic level, absolutely The Shining. I feel like that was a given. You know, every time that I read a comment that says, you know, this is, seems inspired by The Shining. This seems inspired by, you know, this or that or the other. Like, The Shining always sticks out to me because mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, you got it. You got it. Thank mm-hmm. you. I love Stanley Kubrick. Uh, you know, love 2001. Mm-hmm. You know, I love all of his other films. And, you know, The Shining really sticks out to me quite a lot, even though I know Stephen King hates that movie. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But that's a whole other topic. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, the opening shot, uh, which you had mentioned in your, in your breakdown, mm-hmm. it was heavily inspired by The Shining. Um, I mean, there's like a little windy road outside the theater. Cool. And I was like, that's the opening shot. You, you're driving up for your interview. Mm-hmm. You know, I flew a drone and that was that was it. It's one of those things where, I mean, we really wanted to kind of parallel the descent into madness. Um, and that was really a very important aspect. Yeah. You know, this was also one of the one of the first films that I had worked on in, I guess, in recent history. That was really all me whenever it comes to the pre-production process. I had mentioned, you know, with Captain Franklin and uh, all my other past films, uh, really just one of my partners. You know, he's always been a co-director and his name is Porter Edwards. Um, Give him a quick shout out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's always, you know, worked very diligently, um, you know, on all the films that we've worked on together. You know, we went through, we've been through a lot with, you know, the film industry. And yeah, um, this was the first, he actually uh, was studying in Chicago right? Um, at the time of this filming. So, um, you know, aside from a quick text here and there, like it was one of the the first uh, projects where you know I kind of worked on it all on my own so um, mm-hmm. it was a little bit daunting you know you know always having like that co-director that person to kind of bounce ideas off of sure. and then you know, this time was like the first time that I had done it on my own uh, in a long time mm-hmm. it was a daunting task and so that, that's why you know the inspirations and all those things that I, all the studying that I had to do beforehand you know writing all that sort of stuff yeah uh, that's why that was so important to me and the Shining is definitely the biggest inspiration. And, you know, I've seen some people make parallels to like Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, you made a parallel to Taxi Driver as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a lot of people make other references to that and, you know, Shawshank because of the ink spots and all that sort of stuff. Um, whereas, you know, The Shining was the main uh, inspiration, especially with, you know, a guy descending into madness yeah. or descending into madness. Rather, there's a lot of parallels there. Fantastic. So you touched on the fact that you were a manager. So I guess it didn't take you too much hassle to to secure that location. But you got a small cast and it's one location. Yes. But it's almost 14 minutes long. Did you have to raise a budget to make the film or were you pulling in favours? As far as getting the location, that was just the general manager of the theatre. I mean, he was just very, very gracious in, you know, letting us pursue this film. Mm-hmm. You know, I came to him with the idea, um, you know, one day that we were slow, I talked to him and I said I wanted to make this film. And, you know, I wanted to do this. And he said, yeah, I have no problem with that. And, you know, that'd be awesome. And that's cool. I also said, I want you to be in it. Okay. And so, cool. yeah, uh, the general manager in the film is actually the general manager. And, you know, he did a phenomenal job. Uh, I knew that he only had a few scenes in there because mm-hmm. he's a busy guy. And, you know, he was very, very excited to, to be in it. And, you know, he loved, you know, seeing the final product. And it was one of those things where it was just kind of a group effort for sure. And um, you were talking about budget. Yeah. Aside from, you know, buying a pack of cigarettes and, you know, buying tons of fuel for that zippo lighter right um i think we went through about one and a half bottles of zippo fuel for that uh-huh. for that um it's it's quite a lot i mean you know that thing just burns through fuel anyways but i mean you know you got to think long takes of him just leaving it on it's gonna burn through it you know but aside from that you know cigarettes and you know occasional extra items that i wanted to add to my arsenal of uh, film materials mm-hmm. really there wasn't much of a budget for 
for projection. That's good. Yeah, I mean, it's just really because, you know, Tapeslate Productions and, you know, the company that Porter and I have built, you know, we, we just have a lot of stuff that we've accumulated over time. And uh, it really helps whenever we're making films because if there is a budget, um, we primarily spend it on props for the film or, you know, that sort of stuff. Right. Um, and not really having to worry about purchasing any more gear or renting gear or anything like that because of the stuff that we have on hand. Great. So on a technical level then, what equipment did you have at your disposal? Um, well, we shot um, all of projection on a Sony A6500. Yeah. And we typically shot it in 35 millimeter prime. Nice. Um, there was there was the occasional uh, twenty four millimeter Rokinon. Mm-hmm. That was another one that we used. Um, but primarily, we we shot it that way. And you know, one of the one of the biggest problems with the setup, the one thing that I would change if I went back, is the thirty five millimeter prime on the Sony. Like the Sony A series cameras, they have phenomenal autofocus. But nonetheless, you kind of have to learn how to tell the camera what to look at. And whenever you're using a gimbal and you don't have like, you know, a, yeah. a manual rack focus on there mm-hmm. or a manual follow focus on there, like you do run into the issues of the film getting out of focus. And if I were to look back on projection, that'd be the, you know, number one thing that I would change. I, I have the the gear to do that, you know, manual follow focus on uh, the gimbal right. now, but mm-hmm. um, at the time I didn't have that. And even though I love the look of the, you know, 35 prime, I would probably rely a little less on autofocus looking back on it. Yeah, yeah. Primarily just because I know that there's a lot of times where, you know, you lose some some very important aspects of the performance. And, you know, I take full responsibility for that one just because, I mean, I was the one running the camera and doing all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's one of those things where, I, you know, I really... I mean, it's one of those... Every single film that I've ever done and every single film that I've worked on with other people, there's always a learning curve mm-hmm. and there's always something that you take away from it that you don't want to do next time and things that you want to do next time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from projection. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from the, th- the stuff that I really felt passionate about, there was also some things that I took away that were, you know, very beneficial for, I feel like, the future of, you know, my film career. So you mentioned Tucker Vaughn before. Yes. And I thought he was fantastic in this film. What was your process working with him as an actor do is he a natural or did you have to sort of torture him kubrick style to get that performance out of him there was definitely direction involved mm-hmm. but i mean I've, I've worked with tucker you know multiple times uh, yeah. we've known each other all of our lives um i mean our parents were friends before we actually got born and you know we were essentially brothers you know he's one of the big reasons i got into filmmaking in the first place and you know we just kind of have a really good dialogue um, whenever it comes to you know working on set because we had done it so many times and you know even with him like this was his first role that he really wanted to dive into he read the script and he said that he wants i mean he wants to pursue acting right so as far as projection goes um you know he really wanted to dive into the character and it was actually his choice he you know i recommended buying herbal cigarettes or herbal cigarettes you know what most actors use on film sets yeah yeah uh, you know so they don't kill their lungs it was it was his choice to use uh, just normal uh, marble or lights just he wanted to use those because he felt like it was more authentic to the character. Proper method actor then. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's not, you know, as far as, you know, Jared Leto Joker. Like, he's not as far as that, you know, fully being the character 24-7. But, you know, whenever he was on set, he was a real pro. Um, he was a he was an absolute pro. And mm-hmm. I really don't think the film would have worked without him, to be honest. There was a little bit of direction here and there. Um, but primarily, he carried himself. Fantastic. Because, um, I mean, he, he sort of built this character up in his mind and all it all it really took whenever it comes to direction is sort of setting the stage, um, telling him, you know, what's going on, uh, how he feels. And I would sometimes even say, like, what would Daniel do? Mm-hmm. What would Daniel do? And then sometimes that would just be enough to kind of tip him over the edge that I needed him to. Um, I mean, really, whenever it comes to some of the really intense scenes, we were only we only did a few takes just primarily because I would tell him this is what's happening. This is, you know, I'm setting the stage setting the scene. And, you know, he would do it. And then I would say that was, you know, really, really good. But I want you to. I want you to descend a little bit more into madness. 
not to give away any spoilers or anything for those who haven't seen the film, but uh, at the very end, that scene uh, really only took two two takes. Really, um, yeah. I actually one of my like my most favorite things that I've you know ever seen in my life is Breaking Bad. Sure, and I don't know if you've seen Breaking Bad or not, but uh, there's of course yeah, yeah, yeah there's a you know the episode Crawl Space mm-hmm. at the very end. I think that's a, one of the best performances on TV ever. He was actually in the middle of watching Breaking Bad at the time, and I said, "Once you get to that episode, uh, I want you to just kind of study that." So I you know I told him kind of what I wanted, and I sort of said, "I mean, this is your last straw. You've tried everything. You thought this was going to work, and." Right, and then you realize that you were played, and all of those emotions sort of pile up on top of you, and this is this is the end for you, and you know that. And he mm. delivered masterfully. Like I'm, I mean, he did it once, and um, of course, like afterwards, he's laying on the ground, out of breath, and you know, super tired because it was six a.m. Yeah, and you know, he looks at me and he said, "How was that?" And I say, "It was perfect. Like it was, it was spot on, exactly what you know needed to happen." So he did a masterful job and you know the film would not have been the same without him and it's and it's definitely not the last it's definitely not the last project um that i will be doing with him we actually already have a few more planned this year and uh you know i'm really looking forward to working with him again so you mentioned that you were filming at 6 a.m i never even thought about this so so you're working at the theater it's a operational theater at the time you're you're filming so when did you get the the time to film there after we closed i Typically, we work five to six days a week, depending. And, you know, once we're done, we're closed, everyone goes home. And then we essentially just kind of sit there and, you know, I get everything ready. And then uh, around 2 a.m., that's whenever we would start. Because um, wow. once everyone's okay. gone, I mean, it can be late nights on the weekends. Then after that, we start filming. And that specific scene from the ending, uh, all that stuff right there, like we filmed. I mean, it was like some of the cru- most crucial scenes of the film. Uh, I mean, it took us several hours to film that and to get it just right. Yeah. Um, even though there was only a few takes per, like there was just a lot of, there was just a lot that went into it nonetheless. You know, essentially those scenes, like we were there till, you know, 6 a.m. And that was the last scene that we had shot that night or that morning, however you look at it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember as we were leaving, you know, the opening manager was coming in. He was like, why are you guys still here? <laughs> so, um, you know, it was, it was definitely an ordeal. But I mean, I still don't think I would change it just because it did kind of add that little bit of edge because we were all tired and even though we were all you know tired and wanting to sleep of course yeah i mean i don't think we would i don't think anyone would change the way that it went down because it just kind of added more of that authenticity of just the creation of the film and i mean when tucker looks tired or, or when daniel looks tired and looks like he's beat he he really is he really is yeah and whenever at the end of the film he looks like he's had a long month it's because he really had had a long month and he was definitely bringing a lot in from reality into the film which kind of makes it even more authentic in my opinion sure i mean this reminds me totally of clerks where kevin smith was doing day shifts in his convenience store and then shooting it at night were you coming off a shift at the theater and then going straight into shooting absolutely there were some days where you know i would have my day off um i spend most of that day you know sleeping getting ready for the night Mm -hmm. um and then also doing some pre-production you know work just making sure everything was set right before the film and you know it was one of those things where you know, I would come off shift, my gear would be, you know, in our poster room, locked up, um, and then I would yeah. whip it all out with the batteries charging, put all the batteries in, say, let's go. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that was the way that worked. So cool. it was definitely a grueling time, but like I said before, I would not change a you know, tiny bit of that. I, I feel like it went perfectly. Yeah, I think it probably added to it more than anything. Oh, yeah. So what was your schedule like then? How many days did you film? Did you have to go back and refilm anything? We didn't actually have to do any refilming. The schedule was a little weird, though. Um, we would typically film on the weekends and, you know, during the week as well. Um, mm-hmm. All the stuff with Tucker, we got out of the way first because, I mean, he's the main character of the film. There's not a scene without him. And, you know, all of those scenes we primarily filmed ahead of time. Um, it was really coordinating with 
Chandler, who plays Travis, and uh, Iggy, uh, who plays Iggy. It was really coordinating with them that, you know, the reason why the filming wasn't done sooner. Everyone's extremely busy around that time of year. So, you know, it's one of those things where we just had to make the best of it and, you know, try to get it done as soon as possible. And, you know, I had made mistakes in the past of, you know, saying the film would be done by this day and saying the film would be released on this day. I feel like, you know, a lot of filmmakers have had that where they're like, sure, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, this film will be out and ready to go by December 29th. But, you know, in fact, you know, I am very happy that I did this. You know, I said this film is going to be ready on January 3rd, 2020. Um, and, you know, I released the the final trailer with that. And that was after we had already filmed everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt very comfortable with that because, you know, a bulk of the editing was done and it was really just a matter of all the fine details and, you know, doing ADR and, you know, stuff like that. So the, the actual filming schedule... It was not very um, strict. It wasn't one of those things where, like, we would try to, you know, plan this stuff at least a week in advance. Yeah. For the most part, um, you know, there was some. There were definitely the occasional, like, oh, can we film tomorrow? One of those things. But um, the scheduling wasn't as organized as, as you may think, and you know, <laughs> it's something that you know I'll fess up to. It's definitely. It was a lot that went into the film, and um, you know, I'm very happy that it ended up working out as as well as it did, in my opinion. Cool. So you probably touched on this already but what do you consider to be the the highs and the lows of the shoot for you well definitely the ending uh-huh. um it was definitely one of the highs and you know there's there's a lot of different parts of the film that that i that i watch and i just feel like they just they still touch me i guess to this day like i, I look back on them for you know more than just me watching the film you know just the fact that we were able to accomplish it with just you know such a short crew mm-hmm. and you know i was I was the crew. So, you know, whenever it's just me, you know, Scotty and uh, Tucker on set, you know, most of those nights, the fact that we were able to get it done to the scale that we were able to, you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, I really, that's one of the highest points of all the filming, in my opinion. Yeah. The lows would definitely be the audio. And I I wouldn't even call like the audio one of those things where um, it wouldn't be like the low of production. But I mean, if I would say like the, one of the biggest things that I would change aside from the autofocus that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. um, Is the audio. Most of the film takes place upstairs in projection, and obviously we can't turn off all the projectors. Of course. The projectors have to stay on, and, you know, they're very noisy. Yeah. They're very noisy, and so whenever you're, you know, walking around trying to get dialogue and stuff like that, like, I knew it was going to be an issue, and I should have used lavalier mics, but I did not. Uh, I just used a shotgun mic, because obviously I didn't have a boom. I didn't have a boom. I didn't have, a, you know, someone to hold it or anything like that, so, yeah, yeah. you know, I did the best that I could in that in that moment, but, you know, looking back afterwards, having to do all the ADR and stuff... And, you know, still a lot of the complaints about the film are, you know, the ADR uh, and, you know, how some things don't necessarily match and that sort of stuff. And that's one of those, I would say that's definitely the lowest point of the film, in my opinion. To be honest, I actually thought that added to the surreal element of the film. I I almost thought it was a deliberate choice. It it definitely was after watching the initial audio. You know, I I did mention multiple times on set that we will likely not use any of this audio. But I mean, I tried. I definitely tried just, you know, to not have to stress anyone out of, you know, coming over to my place and, you know, filming the ADR. So, you know, once we actually had to do the ADR, that was one of those things where I definitely wanted to ensure that the audio sounded great. And I feel like it did work out, but some people just weren't a fan. Um, and like I said, you know, that was definitely my lowest point. It worked, it worked for me. It worked for me. Well, I'm, I'm very happy. And, you know, there's other people that, that enjoy it as well. But, yeah. you know, I'm acknowledging that the criticism at the ADR is not the best. But even though I, I feel like it works and I, there's definitely some things that I would do differently. Yeah. But, you know, it's definitely the best with what we had. So did you release this film straight onto YouTube? Yes. The initial trailer uh, came out, I want to say it was 
late October to early November. And we actually hadn't finished shooting at that time. And it was just like some of the original footage that we had shot. Yeah. The initial uh, actual trailer, um, and I believe that was in the middle of December Mm -hmm. uh, to maybe late November around there. Um, And that was whenever we actually had all the footage filmed. And it was really just a matter of getting it edited and completed. And that was the time that I put the release date on it. Cool. So what I find really interesting about new filmmakers coming up at the moment is they're kind of quite happy to get their films straight out onto the internet whereas when I was coming up making short films and stuff you know you went through the festival route and it was sort of like a big no-no to put stuff on online but at the moment new filmmakers are like yes whatever just let's get it out as soon as possible what's your thought on the digital route versus the film festival route uh, well, you know, I still plan on, you know, submitting projection to some film festivals. Um, I know that some don't allow you to, or they don't allow you to enter the, the films if it's already been released. Yeah. You know, I know that that's some of the stipulations in some of the film festivals. But, you know, it's just one of those things where I feel like the main reason why filmmakers make films, especially independent filmmakers, because it's not like, you know, we're making money off of the films. You know, yeah. You're doing it off your leisure. You're doing it because that's what you love to do. Yeah, yeah. And you're really doing it because that's that's what you want to do in your life. So whenever you're posting, mm-hmm. you know, just a film to YouTube, I mean, it's really all just about entertainment. And yeah, if you get in, you know, to a film festival that could, you know, accelerate your career possibly, you know, in some ways. And that definitely, you know, that definitely is something that I'm going to do. But, um, you know, around the time of release for projection, it was one of those things where one of my most important aspects of it was just making sure that everyone got to see it. Sure. I mean, because we did kind of develop a fan base, um, you know, ahead of time. There were a lot of people really excited. They knew what we were working on and they were really excited to see the fruits of everything that we had been doing and tape slate productions at the moment is here to entertain mm-hmm. you know we're here to make content that people enjoy and we're really here to you know just because we have a film that we're holding on to i mean i still plan on releasing it as opposed to you know waiting for a film festival at the moment mm-hmm. and that's you know especially with the time of projection you know i would have had to have waited you know nine months or more to release it and absolutely there definitely will be some films that are going to be planned for those festivals but you know at the moment and at the time of projection being created that was definitely you know the route that we wanted to take so what is it up to now 18 19,000 views yeah it actually um and i'm very proud of the amount of views on there you know i, I feel like all of us are mm-hmm. um, everyone that have had, you know took any sort of part in the film you know i, I feel like everyone is you know super proud because uh, previously on the types of productions youtube channel the most viewed film had 2000 views and it was actually my very first film that i had posted on there um which i do not recommend you watch at all <laughs> yeah uh that's a whole other story maybe another podcast we'll see <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> uh i won't get into that now but you know whenever i post a projection it was one of those things where i was kind of crossing my fingers really hoping that it would pass that film yeah um because i did not i no longer wanted that one sitting at my most popular upload sure, sure um and then once it did i was like all right cool that's it we did it mm-hmm. that was it and then i i sat back and honestly didn't look at the view count for a few days because i mean you know those first several weeks i was just kind of watching it like a hawk you know really wanting it to yeah, yeah. you know kind of pass that mm-hmm. um and then i didn't and then i remember you know tucker messaged me and he said have you looked at the views oh wow it's at four thousand. that's insane wow and then went up to 4,500 and we're like, oh, that's awesome. And then went up to 5,000. We're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, 5,000 views is no comparison. It has no comparison to, you know, some of those films that have millions and millions and millions of views. Yeah. And, you know, on YouTube, it's a very small count relatively. But whenever you look at the analytics and you see that around, you know, 50 to 70% of the people actually watch it all the way. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, you know, 50%, that's 5,000 people. That's literally 2,500 people 
that have watched your film all the way mm -hmm. and have taken that time out of their day and that you know whether they were entertained not entertained nonetheless they watched it and they they came for what they wanted and that's you know a very important thing to me and you know now that we're looking at you know once it crossed the 10,000 view mark and you have to think in that rule of 50 percent that's still 5,000 people yeah, yeah. that have watched it all the way through and it's you know it's it's amazing it's amazing so yeah you can't even compare that to film festivals really because i mean right. if you're being realistic at a film festival you got like a couple of dozen people right right sitting watching your film and the huge advantage of releasing stuff straight online is you've still got that enthusiasm behind it i right. think at the moment releasing stuff online for short films is probably absolutely the best way yeah. to go and just get it out there get that immediacy of response right right and you know reactions are definitely the best part and i'm, I'm you know very happy to look at the comment section of projection every day some people don't have some great things to say and a lot of it's a lot of it's very constructive so you know I'll, uh -huh. I'll read it move on that's you know the way it is but then there's a lot of people that are like i said in the very beginning like you know making comparisons to the shining and uh -huh. you know doing all those different things and reading people analyze the video in the way that i hadn't had envisioned it mm -hmm. it's really one of those things that you know i'm magnificently excited about it brings, you know, a smile to my face and sometimes a tear to my eye every time I, I look at the comment section and, you know, see people just analyzing it. Not even saying praises, just saying, I think this happened. Uh, it just, it really makes me, really makes me excited. And, you know, it, it means that it impacted them enough to go into the comment section of my video and talk about it there. It, I don't know. It's just... um Maybe it's a little weird, but that that's how I see it. And, you know, it's really exciting. No, totally. I, think, I don't think you can compare that to the film festival. Really. Yeah. So perfect. So I think you've probably touched on this already. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest lesson that you, you learned working on this film? I feel like one of the biggest things for pre-production, writer's block sucks. Um, we all know that. Uh -huh. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that I learned that. You know, with pre-production, that was probably the biggest thing. And, you know, just kind of mm -hmm. keep moving forward. Know where you're beginning. Know where you're ending. Know where you kind of want to be around in the middle. And we just kind of go from there. Yeah. And then during the actual principal photography stage, autofocus, not something that you should trust for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, that's obviously that. But, you know, really, I learned a lot about how to talk to talent and, you know, how to, to work with people that know how to convey themselves on the screen. Mm -hmm. And that was just, you know, that was one of the biggest takeaways for sure. And, you know, how well in my opinion you know a project can turn out once the actor is giving them all get or sorry giving me their all yeah that, that was a you know an enormous takeaway from that for sure being able to stretch tucker to the limit in some ways you know it was a really really you know fantastic thing to see and it was a fantastic thing to you know be a part of and to be able to kind of coach those little tiny emotions um it was very important so and then as far as post-production goes really just take the time on the little details mm -hmm. um because at the end of the day those little details, even though you may not even notice them, uh, you know, the regular view may not notice them. Like, you know, they're there. Mm -hmm. And then someone, maybe one of the 15,000 of the people that have watched it will see it. And then that one person mm -hmm. will be affected by those little tiny changes that you made. So, yeah, you know, yeah. definitely revisions and, you know, going through your film 10, 20, 30, 100 times, you know, just to get those little tiny minute details in there. And that's very, very important. Yeah. And actually, there's a, there's a lot of scares that I would probably bet that you didn't see okay. uh, just in the film. There's a lot of things that um, there's a few little nods, just things in the background of some really short shots that you probably didn't notice were even there. I don't think anyone's seen it okay. in the YouTube video. So, um, of course, I've told the cast and crew that they're there and they're like, oh, what? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was there. That's insane. <laughs> I feel like all of it just promotes that that mood of eeriness that we had, uh, that we had kind of promoted throughout the whole film. Awesome. So... 
what and who inspired you to get into filmmaking? Who are your favorite filmmakers, and what are your what are the movies that inspired you? Well, my favorite movie um, is Interstellar uh-huh. by Christopher Nolan. Nice. Ironically, I haven't made a sci-fi yet, like a space sci-fi thriller or anything like that. But you know, nonetheless, um, Christopher Nolan has always impacted me. Um, Inception is a phenomenal film. Interstellar is you know a great 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 look into the characters and mm-hmm. he, he really knows how to write characters and he really knows how to write yeah people from beginning to end and kind of show their decisions and you know all those sort of things that you know make us excited as filmmakers you know being able to tell those stories and sure you know he really he's a masterful director and i'm super excited for tenet and i really hope it does not get pushed i really actually like edgar wright as well um you know obviously like you know a lot of filmmakers and i feel like i'm giving some very basic answers but i mean those are those are the people that inspired me i look at their work and you know i, I kind of aspire to be like that someday so aside from interstellar from nolan's arsenal what uh, what's your favorite film um aside from interstellar it would definitely be inception and i actually haven't seen all of his films i'm working on it you know that's probably a little shameful to say but um i haven't seen all of his films and i, I still plan on it and i've seen a majority of them uh, I just haven't seen Memento. That's a must. Yeah. Absolute must. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I know it was also early in his career, too. So And the following as well. Have you seen that? I have not seen the following, actually. Yeah, you've got to check that one out. I definitely will. That's brilliant. Fantastic. Okay. So, aside from Projection, you've got a whole bunch of films online. What are they, the films, aside from Projection, that you want other people to check out? Well, definitely don't check out uh, the second most popular video on my page. <laughs> do not do that. That's my first film. Uh, but, you know, all, all jokes aside... I sort of started my filmmaking journey. This is kind of sidetracking a little bit, but I started my filmmaking journey, uh, like I said, with Tucker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were we were about nine, and he brought Goosebumps. You know, R.L. Stein's Goosebumps. Yeah. Over, and he was like, "Hey, man, I love Goosebumps. We should make Goosebumps." So we did like a little bit of a remake of Goosebumps, and I won't go into too many of the details. There's also a reason that's not online anywhere. It's really awful. <laughs> really terrible but i mean that from that day on you know I, I really you know to kind of make a short version of the story like from that day on i i really enjoyed doing that uh-huh. i never really thought it would be a career but i, I knew that i really enjoyed doing film mm-hmm. I, re- I really started taking film professionally back in 2015 and you know 2015 we started with quantum um which mm-hmm. there's a lot of learning experiences from that and it was a little superhero short film was not very good and move on from that but i you know I also made a uh, Star Wars parody, which the first one isn't very good either. It's really not pretty bad, actually. I would say it's worse than Quantum. After I made those films, I looked back on them and I kind of realized what had kind of gone wrong in those films. Mm -hmm. And also what went right, like some things that I enjoyed and then some things that maybe could have gotten a lot better. Of course, yeah, yeah. And so I started kind of going into the sequel territory, not necessarily because I wanted to, you know, cash in on the ultimate success of the 200 views that the first one got you know yeah uh not because of that i feel like there was i you know it's a short story it's a short film and then you're sitting there and Mm -hmm. you have your film that's five minutes long and then you start thinking about all these other things that you could have done and you start thinking about all the different things that you want to do still at least in my opinion whenever i make sequels uh, which i ended up making a sequel to both quantum and uh sign wars which was the name of the star wars parody I ended up making a sequel to both of them, and I feel like both of them are tens of times better than the originals. And so I would say if there's anything that you would check out today, um, if you want to see the very beginning, go ahead and check out Quantum 2. Not Quantum. Not Quantum. Do, do not watch that one. Uh, unless you do and you just want to laugh, go ahead. And then I would say Simon Wars 2 as well. We're actually working on a Simon Wars 3 right now with uh, you know Tucker and, and myself, and you know we're kind of doing the finale. Actually, there's already a teaser on the channel um, if you want to go check that out. It's like a little announcement teaser. So uh, 
everyone at Tapeside has grown so much since the very beginning. And, you know, we, we always love trying to do better every single time, every single time, just trying to see what we did wrong in the last and trying to improve on it in the next. And I feel like it really has worked out mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. So, I mean, even though those first two films that were made, you know, I, I didn't think they were the best. There's a reason they're still up on the internet. Um, it's primarily just because I feel like it's cool to see the growth from the beginning to end. And, you know, obviously we're going to keep going on for, you know, several years mm-hmm. and, uh, it's really cool to see from the beginning to the end. And we're actually approaching the five-year anniversary of Tape Slate. So nice. that's, you know, really cool. Fantastic. So, yeah, yes. So you said you've been going five years and you want to keep going. So what's the, the long-term plan? Have you got low-budget features in the in the mix? Or do you want to sort of try and jump on the ladder, try and get into some proper big productions and work your way up? Yeah, that's definitely the long-term plan. That's where I want to be. Um, and that's where I know that everyone else, part of Safe State wants to be. I know that everyone wants to, mm-hmm. you know, make it big and go on to bigger and bigger productions. And, you know, as we sort of lay the fundamental roots of, you know, filmmaking and, you know, with projection, you know, doing very well on, on the internet. Yeah. And us honestly just learning a lot from it and, you know, figuring out a lot of things that we did right and a lot of things that we could work on. We, we just want to keep moving forward. I want to, you know, work with other people and I want to uh-huh. sort of build up the ladder and all that stuff. But I feel like tapes that will always be a part of my filmmaking journey. Um, you know, even if I'm fortunate enough to work on feature films someday, like I feel like tapes that will follow me even to then. Mm-hmm. Tapes that we are wanting to make, you know, some feature films as well. I mean, that's that's the end game for, you know, tapes that is to kind of get to that point to, you know, make tapes that productions that household name where hopefully it's like A24 where people sure. are like, you know, we have a bunch of teams of directors and actors and lots of different things. But obviously that if that were to happen, mm-hmm. if you know, we were to be fortunate enough for that to happen, you know, we're talking years. But to answer the question, of course, we would work with other people and we would you know want to just climb the ladder and keep growing um, as a company and, you know, as a business as well. And as far as this year goes, we actually, like I said, we're doing a little short Sign Wars 3, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's, it's definitely a step down from projection as far as like, characters go like it's obviously not going to be like 36 minute drama thriller horror thing mm-hmm. but it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride i'm excited for everyone to see it but then you know after that as far as the next thing that is not sci-fi or you know not any of those other types of genres i am also currently working on a drama as well reflex mm-hmm. and we're hoping that to come out in the fall um it's it's a very personal story not necessarily about my personal experiences but it's one of those things where we're really we're really wanting to go all out with this film um and it's Essentially, just I don't want to say too much about it, about the, the plot or anything, but mm-hmm. um, starring Tucker Vaughn um, and someone else who we, ha- who we haven't cast yet. But it's going to be, you know, about two recovering drug addicts and their their story from start to end. And, uh, you know, it's a drama. So I'm really excited to do that one. You know, after Sign Wars 3 is all done, that's when we'll go full, you know, force towards the next one. And, you know, I'm really, really excited um, to hit the ground running on that one just because it's, you know, there's a lot of fun things that we want to do with that. And there's a lot of things that I feel like will touch a lot of viewers. And, you know, it, it's very important. If anyone watches any of the films and gets any sort of sentiment from it, you know, that changes the way that we make them and it, and it makes us feel you know very accomplished. I mean, that's what we're really working towards sure. um, to entertain people and, and to, you know, primarily make everyone feel great when they're watching the films. And that's, that's what I feel like reflex will not necessarily feel great, but it will definitely, you know, bring out the emotions for sure. So I'm, I'm very excited for people to see that and sort of, hopefully relate to the characters and you mm-hmm. know pull some things that they can that can make themselves better you know like i'm really excited for that opportunity fantastic so who are the people that you need to meet to make your future projects become a reality one of the biggest things is just collaborating with bigger filmmakers mm-hmm. i know i had mentioned previously 
Um, it's you know important to climb the ladder and you know try to make sure that you're doing as well as you can every single step of the way and and you know that sort of stuff. Yeah. I would love to hook up with you know some local Nashville talent, do some collaborations, uh, you know, with film and just keep making projects over and over again and just build off the last. And I'm you know really excited for all those opportunities to come as well. There's a friend of mine he's doing really well at the moment. He does a lot of freelance uh, stuff. His company, mm-hmm. it's Moy Entertainment. They're very popular on, you know, social media platforms and all that sort of stuff. They just started out, you know, a few months ago, uh, like really started going full force at it. They do some great stuff over there. And uh, Austin Davenport, the owner of, or, you know, one of the heads of that company, Mm -hmm. um, he actually worked with me, Porter, and uh, two others, you know, uh, Guadi Finelli and uh, Emma Coons. They, when we all kind of worked and created Family Business, which you can find on the Tapeslate channel as well. Yeah, it's nice fun film yeah yeah that one was exciting um and you know austin he's a very talented dude and Mm -hmm. i I really want to work with him in the future too i mean just because i've worked with him in the past and i would love to do it again because because it was a great experience so you've done some acting work before and you've acted in your own films do you see a future in acting or are you happier you know behind the camera directing other people i actually i mean i started in acting um like i said the filming was you know just kind of a pastime you know back in the day and, you know, I sort of, you know, grew up on those projects. I, you know, had some good representation as well. I just grew to like behind the camera a lot more. Um, and of course, I, you know, I I will occasionally step in front of the camera. Like, you know, for mm-hmm. Wars 3, I'm going to be in front of the camera as well. Um, I'm going to have Porter back on the project as well, which is going to be really cool. I've really um, just preferred to stay behind the camera, to be honest, just because I feel like there's a lot more. I can tell a better story from behind the camera, in my opinion. You know, as a character, I'm not, you know actors can tell great stories and everything like that yeah. and you know actors can really move people mm-hmm. but i also feel like the place that i'm best suited for is you know behind the camera and you know trying to move audiences that way fantastic so looking through your your back catalog of films you also done a lot of vfx work yes is that a needs must kind of thing or have you got an actual interest in visual effects uh, i do have an interest in visual effects I, I have done some some visual effects work just on some films um you know not really doing much aside from the vfx um you probably saw on imdb super tramp there's a very brilliant uh you know young filmmaker he's older than me but you know he's you know younger starting out filmmaker as well his name is Jacob Ferguson right uh, he's the director of that film and he made that you know for his senior year project in high school he really put his heart and soul into that thing he i mean he really wanted to make something special you know he came to me and wanted me to do visual effects for the film and uh you know i was like of course i of course i will and you know i was going through a little bit of you know stuff at the time um you know but i had to push all that stuff out to him and you know i'm very proud of the way that that stuff came out cool it, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the film it's not necessarily one genre there's it's it's an adventure film mm-hmm. primarily yeah and there's a scene where two characters are in a detention room and he he came to me and he really started to like push the limits of the visual effects that i thought i could do at the time uh-huh. um i mean he there were a lot of things that i thought i could do was i thought it was super bare essential and he came to me and he said all right so i have this shot it's a shot of the camera looking out the window and then you see an asteroid go over the entire school right. and the entire room is filled up with light. And I was like, uh, I don't know if I can do it, but I will sure try. <laughs> um, and, you know, he sent me the, the shots and I was like, are you kidding me? This stuff is like, this is some really intense camera work, too. It's like nothing's locked down. Everything's there. And mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot with Super Tramp and I feel like that kind of uh, made me a little bit more confident in you know, the types of visual effects that I could do and, you know, how the complexity can vary and I can still kind of 
figure that part out. And um, I, I would do visual effects for a film someday. Um, I, I really want to do all aspects of films. And I feel like a lot of filmmakers are like that as well, where yeah, yeah. they don't really want to lock down on one section. Mm-hmm. And I know to move up the ranks, you kind of have to figure out one and kind of move up. But sure. nonetheless, I still feel you know, very passionate about all the aspects of film, not just the visual effects, even though I do really enjoy doing visual effects. Amazing. So just jumping back to acting then. So you've been in your, your own short films. How do you balance the acting and directing? It's a lot of rewatching because obviously you're not behind the camera. It's a lot of rewatching, you know, the footage and um, just kind of making sure that it's how you would like it to be. Mm-hmm. There's a film on my IMDb, which is not on YouTube, even though the trailer's on YouTube. And that's a whole ordeal um it was sort of a failed production okay uh legacy uh-huh. and there were just a lot of scheduling conflicts um and I, honestly i feel like mm-hmm. so with all those sequels that i had i had talked about previously i sort of was trying to build this cinematic universe through all my films where it was a cinematic multiverse more like uh-huh. where you know all the films were connected in their own multiverses nice. and uh, there was this okay. one character that kept jumping in between all these universes uh-huh. and even you know the film like knock there was just a little throwaway moment where this guy sees something random. And in Reaper, mm-hmm. which Jacob Ferguson directed, at the very end, there was a, a portal. Uh, you know, there's just a whole bunch of different things. And Legacy was supposed to be the culmination of all of the films that had, been, had come prior. And this one guy who lives in this main universe jumps around to other ones and pulls people from different films. And uh, I played a lot of characters in some other of the films. And um, in Quantum, I play Quantum. And in uh, Cyan Wars, I play, I'm, I play myself. I'm Bryson. And there's some interesting plot points in there um, and just, you know, a lot of different things. And, you know, some of the interesting dialogue that was in there, like what would happen if you pulled Quantum and then you pulled Tucker and then you had Tucker face off with Quantum, who he thought was Bryson because they look the same. And it's just, you know, playing off with those little things. But nonetheless, you know, that that film, we really worked on that for a very long time. Um, I mean, we, we started writing it and, you know, making sure that Mm-hmm. You know, everything was perfect. And we started filming it directly after, actually a little bit before releasing Sign Wars 2. Um, you know, it was a really long ordeal. Then we started doing reshoots and, you know, the reshoots weren't matching, you know, the, the previous stuff. So then we started reshooting the whole thing and it was kind of a botched production, to be honest. And, you know, I'm really a little disappointed with the way that that whole thing turned out, um, especially because, you know, the trailer did really well Yeah, as well. Um, and But throughout all of those films, um, I mean, not all, but most of those films, you know, I acted and directed and you know a lot of them and it's really just a matter of you know working with the cinematographer and you know working on making sure that everything's set to how you like it and then once you edit it afterwards it's really easy to edit around some of those little mishaps Mm -hmm. that that would happen with you know something that you didn't necessarily watch as it was happening so i mean i wouldn't necessarily recommend acting and directing (laughs) it's definitely um it's a lot to to bite off and chew yeah yeah for sure um but you know it's definitely a fun experience for sure that's cool so on the subject of cinematic universes and stuff is that where you see your films going or do you like the idea of this film is its own thing it can be you know cinematic multiverse and then sometimes things can be on its own but i feel like it's kind of one and the same it's kind of like the pixar theory where you know people are saying you know all these films are connected and all this stuff is this way and all this stuff is this way but you know in the films you don't necessarily have to acknowledge the other ones you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and I still say to this day that the legacy verse, which is you know what we what it's called, um, I would still say the legacy verse still is a thing. Yeah. I would say you know projection takes place in its own universe, and then mm-hmm. some other films may take place in the same Earth as projection, and it's 
not anything that's ever going to be announced or sure. you know like big plot twist or you know played on or anything like that but yeah, yeah. i mean it is one of those things where it's still just kind of fun to think that you know the multiverse is still there and that all these films are still part of their uh-huh. own multiverse whether you'd pay it off or not yeah, yeah it's just fun to it's fun to to play around with that idea fantastic so to wrap things up then Everyone's got their favourite big budget films, but since this podcast veers more towards independent filmmaking, is there any indie films that have inspired you particularly, or any indie films that you think haven't got as much attention as they should have done? There's this one film. It was filmed in Nashville, Tennessee. It's called uh, Real Gone. Uh, you may have seen it on the Film Riot YouTube channel, and it's an indie film in that it's you know not enormous budget or anything like that mm-hmm. um but it has gotten a lot of praise on the internet and i feel like everyone should go take give that a watch just because you know seth worley he did a, phen- a phenomenal job on that film I, I really think everyone should go see that just because i mean it's a perfect way to kind of bring in heart drama soul and comedy all into one film cool. and you know do a really really good job i don't know if you've seen it or not but no, no, um not yeah talking. it's called real gone on uh the film right youtube channel triune films so you know i'd definitely give that a watch yeah that sounds really good i'll definitely uh track that down and and check it out so if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way uh you can go ahead and go to my website www.tapeslateproductions.com and you can also contact me through email at tapeslate at gmail.com and tapeslate is spelled t-a-p-e sorry (laughs) t-a-p-e-s-l-a-t-e at gmail.com also uh, you can follow the tapeslate instagram which is just tapeslate productions Fantastic. Well, thanks for jumping on this podcast. It's been great to chat with you. Yeah, no problem at all, dude. And uh, I look forward to checking out Reflex when that drops. And thanks to you for listening if you've made it this far. Much appreciated. Uh, Just a reminder, if you want to check out Projection, it's available on the Tape Slate YouTube channel. If you want to check out more episodes of Indiformopolis, it's available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify and YouTube and probably a whole bunch of other places too. On our YouTube channel, we actually have individual playlists for each episode with the short films, trailers, and other clips relating to everything we talked about in each episode. So if anything piques your interest, you can just head over there and take a look. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your own short films or indie film recommendations, or you just want to follow our updates and posts, you can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Indie Filmopolis. You can also find myself on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram by searching for Filmmaker, P-H-I-L-M-M-A-K-E-R. And you can follow the progress of our very own low-budget flick, Own Worst Enemy, on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Own Worst Enemy Movie. That's it. Thanks again for listening and hopefully we'll catch you next time.